Hi, this is Kate Coscarelli, and welcome to another episode of NJSBA Sidebar. So, good news. Uh, thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Today is a really interesting interview. I sat down at the AOC in the office of Judge Glenn A. Grant. He is the Acting Administrative Director for the Administrative Office of the Courts, otherwise known as the Judiciary. He is a judge of the Appellate Division. He's a former presiding judge of the Family Division in Essex County. Uh, he has been the Acting Chief Judge of the Newark Municipal Courts uh, and a great many other things. Judge Grant uh, was kind enough and generous enough with his time to sit down and chat about a number of issues that are really important to uh, attorneys in New Jersey. We talked a little bit about uh, the history, the makeup of the courts. We talked about what the administrative director of the courts does. Uh, and you can imagine it's a very uh, busy job. We talked about the latest development in e-courts. We talked about criminal justice reform. Um, and we talked about all of those folks who still need to get their registrations in. Um, as I said, it was at Judge Grant's office, so forgive us. There is um, a couple of spots where the phone rings, and um, we just kept going. So this is uh, good, and I'm so glad you've tuned in. So let's get started. Good afternoon, Judge Grant. Good How afternoon. are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. As you know, we have a great partnership with the State Bar, so we welcome the opportunity to talk about our court system. I'm so glad. We uh, truly appreciate the partnership mm -hmm. that the State Bar has with the courts. It is very meaningful mm -hmm. for all of our members. So let's dive in and talk about that. So you have been the Acting Administrative Director of the Administrative Office of the Courts since 2008. Is that right? Correct. So. Maybe, you know, I think a lot of attorneys deal with the courts, you know, quote unquote, the courts, and they don't always understand um, what the AOC does. So maybe you can tell me a little bit about what you do and your role. You're the right hand man to the chief justice and you have an incredible role here. And um, and what sort of what is the AOC? You've got to go back into some context about the New Jersey judiciary. For those of you who don't know the history, prior to 1948, our court system was a laughingstock. And uh, through the efforts of then attorney Arthur T. Vanderbilt, uh, we were finally able to create a constitutional convention. And from that constitutional convention came really about four significant things for our court system. First and foremost was a strong chief justice. We have a chief justice that can assign judges to the appellate division, to presiding judges. That's not always the case in a lot of our court systems. So that strength of the court system is really important. Number two, New Jersey was the first court that created an administrative office of the court. The federal courts had it, but we were the first state court system. Is that right? Yes. I didn't realize yes. that. And so when uh, Hawaii and Alaska was looking for what court system could we base our court system on. It was really on uh, New Jersey. So the position of administrative director is in the Constitution. It is the uh, person, along with the Chief Justice, assigned to uh, provide the administrative operation of the court. So questions associated with policy, procedure, management of today a 9,000 plus workforce are all assigned to the uh, um, administrative director. The reason why the position is acting is judgeships 
are also in our Constitution. So you can't sit as both the administrative director and a judge of the court. So that's why this is a temporary assignment. I am always a judge of the court. Judge first. Judge first. The administrative director, interesting, over that 70-year <coughs> history, in the context about um, the really remarkable achievements of our court has been, since that 1947-1948 transformation, we have been involved in trying to create uh, the most professional, the most successful court system in the country. And that's been over decades that we've been trying to do this. So in the 70s, we get rid of uh, county district courts. In the 90s, we create unification for our court systems. In the 90s, we bring probation, which used to be part of the county, over. We bring over thousands of employees that were on the state budget to, excuse me, on county budgets into our court system. So you've got this great work that's going on over the years, but even more important than just the administrative or the operational side, you have this, what I would characterize is this constant quest for improvement. You've got this constant quest to try to advance justice in our state. Interesting about um, the design of this system, many judiciaries, the court is not responsible for the disciplinary um, mm. actions of attorneys. <coughs> in our comprehensive <coughs> design of our system, we created where the court will decide what is attorney discipline, where the court will decide what is judicial um, discipline. And so we created a whole structure, which the bar right. is intimately involved with. Yeah. OAE, <clears throat> the Lawyers Fund for Client Protection. There's a significant uh, coordination and partnership, again, with the bar. Uh, but ultimately, it is the Supreme Court, led by the Chief Justice, that decides those policies and procedures. Yeah, that's interesting. We, you, you cannot imagine the number of calls I receive mm -hmm. <clears throat> from people trying to figure out who the, the agency is, because they're from out of state. Right. And they're like, oh, well, you're the Bar Association. Don't you do this? And it's like, well, New Jersey's unique. We have a separate, you know, the, that is actually a part of the judiciary. Exactly. And the, the interesting thing about the administrative director's <clears throat> position is the administrative director, per the Constitution, has the ability to issue directives. Those directives have the same force and effect as if it was issued by the legislature. They oh. have the same <clears throat> statutory authority. And so if you go onto our website, you will see a significant body of directives right. uh, addressing all kinds of case management, procedures, and policies, and lawyers are obligated to comply with Right, them. that's interesting. I didn't, I'm learning something here. I did not realize that they had the same import mm -hmm. and the same, um, you know, I'm familiar with the directives. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I've seen them, I've read them, I've mm -hmm. reported on them once upon a time. <laughs> But I didn't realize that that's really interesting. Sure. So again, that design, you always go back from that foundational point and you see um, the great thought, the great strategy that was put in in creating that foundation. So it's worked very well. That's wonderful. So you had mentioned, I just want to take back for a half a step. You said there are four significant things. Yes. So you so, said the strong CJ. So I'm saying the, the, the administrative director, office. Administrative yeah. director's office the disciplinary action of mm. um, the oversight of the court system, mm -hmm. and then um, the unified court, or at least ah, okay. creating a goal for a unified court. Got it. Because in 1948, we didn't have, we still had county courts, you had some police courts, but over the decades, we've really moved to a unified court, yeah. which sort of segues into the question that we're currently involved with, with municipal court reform. Yes. The last piece of really having a truly unified court is the municipal court. Right. And I don't, for example, I don't see that 
changing in the way we do. We're now making some additional modifications and enhancements to it. Right. But I, I will always, I always envision that our municipal courts will be part of uh, local rule. Mm-hmm. And that's the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for all other aspects of our court system, it's really operated by the state. Right. It's really controlled by the, by the way we operate the rest of our system. And, and so to, to that, to, to make it clear, I mean, because most people, mm-hmm. their interaction with court Agreed. is in the municipal courts, right? I mean, I think it's <clears throat> millions, right? So the comparison is over <coughs> the years, we may have six million dispositions in our municipal court, and we will have only mm, one million or so sometimes a little higher, sometimes a little lower, in our superior court. So it's substantial, the number of dispositions. And for most people, as Chief Justice Rabner has said most recently, the face of our court system, the court that provides the most interaction with the public, is our municipal court system. So that's why you see this continuing quest to say, let's try to remove issues associated with judicial independence, judges looking to raise money uh, on behalf of the municipality. Right, Those and part of the, but, you know, that, it's, that somehow court revenues are part of a, like, an expected part of the, the town's budget and the exactly. revenue stream. Exactly. exactly, and the issue of judicial independence goes to a judge looking to the council, the governing body, as to whether they are making <clears throat> enough money or not. Right. And so issues of making sure the judge is truly independent and will decide cases purely on the merits of that case and not worry about those things. Now, is that kind of is that something that can be addressed without a legislative, in you know, without legislation, or is it like? I'm glad you said that. Yeah. <laughs> we are in the midst of issuing a follow-up report. Uh-huh. Last year, in 2018, uh, the Chief Justice issued a report on our municipal court system. Right, and um, that's a stud- That's an issue that the State Bar Association studied exactly. extensively. Exactly. And your report was also a foundational report that helped. Um, I didn't want to take credit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Judge Mendez and Judge Thornton, mm-hmm. who chaired the committee in developing uh, that report. After that report, there were a series of recommendations about how do we implement these things. Right. You can't implement the kinds of changes that we're talking about without having a three-branch partnership. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I chaired a committee, and we're weeks away from issuing the report. I chaired a committee where we had representatives from the governor's office representatives from the legislature, representatives from attorneys, all designed to say, how can we implement some of these great ideas Mm -hmm. uh, about improving and advancing our mission of our municipal court? You know, you, candidly, our municipal judges do great work. You know, it's, it's, it's the system that you want to make certain you are creating foundational points so you don't have those small outliers where it creates a concern. But overall, Six million dispositions. That's a you lot. Know, exactly. Yeah. Um, the kinds of issues that they face. Um, there's a local flavor to it. So we we do a great work in our municipal court system, but we believe that we can be better. Sure. We believe that we can advance that uh, ever uncertain question of justice. How can we improve it? How can we make it better? Right. I mean, how can it be better? How can the people? Right. You know. I mean, and because it's the kind. Because as you said, it's the place where so many people come. Exactly. If they have faith that they got a fair shake exactly. there, it, it relays to the entire system, no right? It, it benefits no everyone. Question about it. And so we have been involved in so many initiatives over the decades, and particularly under Chief Justice Ravner. He is a very progressive <clears throat> leader. He is always thinking about ideas as to how we can improve our system. So um, from criminal justice reform to municipal court reform, mm-hmm. from information technology exchange, obviously from the wisdom of the decisions, as you see, 
um, he has offered us a significant number of decisions that have set groundbreaking um, tra trails, if you will, in our system. The court has had a long history of that. Right. Uh, the chief, working with his current colleagues, have continued to advance that well-recognized reputation of mm -hmm. New Jersey being a leader in jurisprudence, and it's something that um, New Jersey can be proud of. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. Now, one of the things that I, just uh, to, to go back on, is one of the things that the administrative, um, that the AOC does is, is as you said, it, is they also accept registration, That's right? Correct. Like you Attorney are, registration. you are the agency yep. with which everyone must register yep. every year. Yep. So, and that's for a few years now. It's been an online-only process. Yes. Mm -hmm. How's it going? 2012, we started our electronic registration process. As you know, the world is undergoing a tsunami as it relates to technology. Yeah. Every place is doing technology. From we are. We're doing a podcast exactly. right now. Thank you. Right. Exactly right. <laughs> so we started in 2012. It was first. It was voluntary. In 2016, we made it mandatory. Right. And um, we believe that it's working ex exceedingly well. We have about a hundred thousand, a little less, a hundred thousand attorneys that are licensed to practice in New Jersey. That's amazing. Right. It really it's is. It's amazing. Really. It really. Is. I mean, it's something like one for every twelve residents or exactly. something. I mean, it's exactly. shocking. Yeah. Um, now, not not all of them live in New Jersey. Not all of them practice in New Jersey. Right. You know, our big big states are uh, New York, obviously, Florida, Pennsylvania. Yeah. You know, those are the real big ones in terms of people who live out of state but have taken the New Jersey bar. You've also got the impl implications now of admission by motion yes. and uh, MBE. Right. right. So those are changes that may or may not increase or decrease our uh, number of attorneys that come into the system. Yeah, and I mean, without segueing too far off off the field, I mean, that's a whole other sort of. That's yep. frankly, that's a whole other conversation yeah. we could yeah, have. Exactly. It's an interesting uh, exactly. development in the world. So, in terms of um, the, the registration process. Yeah. If you fail to register, you go on what's called an ineligible list. And does that mean like what it sounds like? Exactly. You cannot, you cannot, cannot practice, cannot you can't practice, file. Cannot practice. Yeah. And you get the embarrassment of having your name published in the law journal. Right. Right. And it's on the electronic uh, website. It lives online what, forever. Exactly. Yeah. What we have tried to do is to recognize that some attorneys may not be as technological sophisticated as we would like. Right. And we've done a couple of things. Sure. Um, we said that if you've been practicing since 1965, you can register on paper. And that's about 4,000 attorneys yeah. that still register on paper. We okay. want to be sensitive to those individuals. Good to know. But we've also said, however, is we want to send you multiple notices, multiple reminders of your obligation to register annually. Some people have historically, so it's not unusual for some people to say, I don't care, it's a Another hundred dollars, I'll pay late. Right, 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 that's, right. That sort of thing. This year, listen, as a membership organization, <laughs> I'm well aware of like how the renewal process exactly. works. Yeah. So this year, we are facing approximately thirteen thousand people that have not registered yet. We are making a concerted push to educate those individuals, to remind those individuals about their obligations to pay. Mm-hmm. Does that compare? Like, are you on track with prior years? A little higher. A little than, higher. A little okay. higher than prior years. And so we are extending the registration date. Oh, good. All right, from May 1st to July 22nd. Okay. If you pay by July 19th, you will not be on the ineligible list. The reason why it's not the 22nd is the Law Journal needs to have oh, a period of time. Oh, right, 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 of course. So, I mean, there's a turnaround. So you got to check, exactly. Yeah, it's a turnaround of course. Time. 
So we are phone calling some individuals, sending reminders to individuals about their obligations, their opportunity, if you will, to pay online. The other thing that, that has happened most recently is, uh, with the expanded use of technology, is the expanded focus on security, information mm -hmm. security. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we have been working with our IT office to say what are the additional enhancements that we can do in order to prevent or at least minimize the opportunity for cyber fraud, cyber theft, and those Right. I mean, what could be more valuable than, than attorney's this, information? Attorney, both attorney's information and like that of the courts. I exactly. mean, there is a a, a wealth exactly. of information available. So things like having dual identification to verify who you mm -hmm, are, mm -hmm. having you send an email if you forget your password, yes, yes, and yes. we won't just accept you on the phone, we will send it back to you electronically to right. verify that information. So those are also some of the ongoing strategies that we're doing to help protect the information. Information security is a an important focus, an important aspect of who we are as well. Yeah, it's 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 an amazing how that if you would, I think if you we had all talked ten years ago, it, it's just not exactly. It would have been like night and day. What? Yeah, night, night and day. You've got cities right now. Philadelphia has to be filing their documents on by paper. Yes. Think about that because they've been breached. It's remarkable. remarkable. And that's been a couple of weeks. And what you're, you're trying to say is, can we prevent that? Now, if people are going to invest millions of dollars to try to hack into you. It's difficult to stop them, right? True. And you've got some governments that are engaged in this thing, so it makes it even more complicated. Right. But what you want to try to do is to use your due diligence to do the best that you can mm -hmm. do in order to try to protect the safety of the data that you collect and maintain. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something It's similar. There are so many things that I think that we have, mm -hmm. you know, we have parallel tracks. We're yeah. constantly, okay. you know, our, our IT staff is, you know, at these sort of... Um, I don't, I don't know the best way to call it, but like almost like a war game yep. thing, you know, where yep. you're, we, you're... We call it tabletop exercise. And yeah. We engage in exercise and saying, if this happened, what would our response be? What's next? Be? And right. how do we, and how do we, okay, so then if that happens, is there a thing that we can do to gate it yep. so that, that, you know, it's... That's, it. That's what it, we do. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, really good. Um, so now let's talk a little bit about, so since we're on the path of technology, let's talk about something else, a big project of the courts have been undertaking in the last couple of years, which is e-courts. Yes. Right, the effort to get as much of the court's business happening online as possible. So if you can give me a little bit of an overview and then let's uh, maybe, I'd love to know what's up, what's on your radar for next. The first assignment that I got from Chief Justice Ravner when I came here 11 years ago was to chair an information technology committee. And what we did was we created a blueprint for how we can transform this paper-based organization mm -hmm. into an electronic-based organization. And there's really about uh, three, four components of that. One is the inter electronic interchange between the attorney and the judiciary. Right. So documents are filed electronically. Two, you're creating an electronic case jacket. Yeah. So no longer would you have the paper jacket where you would go in and look at the files, but there's an electronic case jacket. Yeah. Three, you're allowing the attorney to look at that jacket on an ongoing basis so they can say, here's my case, mm -hmm. here's what my adversary has filed, here's what I filed. And number four is creating a public record, an electronic public record. So people used to go to the courthouse and engage in those things. Now people can just go online and say, here's what I see with regards to that. Yeah, it's amazing. My first assignment as a reporter covering courts was covering the Somerset County Courthouse, yes. and I would go in mm -hmm. and dig through a wire basket file exactly. of all exactly. of the things that, you know, exactly. I mean, I sound like an old 
you know, like I'm back in my day. <laughs> um, but I mean, that's not that long ago. No, it really isn't. It's really, it really isn't. And so, so, so that was your first assignment. So what we've done is, yeah. remember, we've got multiple case types, yes. multiple divisions that we focused on. And right now, we are, and, and the thing about technology is, you're never done, <laughs> right? You are yeah. constantly yeah. upgrading, constantly changing what's happening. So we have electronic filing in our tax system, we have electronic filing in our civil system, we have it both in special civil, we have it in law, um, we have it in CIC and family, we're getting ready to roll it out. Hopefully. CIC is children in children, court. I'm sorry, right. children in court. Um, we have it in foreclosure. Okay. Um, we have it in, um, I'm trying to think of the other case, case types. We are rolling it out. Well, our family has 11 different case types. So right. we're starting with CIC, which is uh, children in court. Uh, and we will be rolling out FM, then you will get to domestic violence, and you'll get to that. Criminal is really the one that probably has the most robust um, technological functionality, and that was really triggered by criminal justice reform. Mm -hmm. So in our criminal perspective, we are able to have a truly electronic process from uh, the filing of the co complaint through the ultimate disposition of the case, even mm. beyond that, because mm -hmm. we electronically send the judgment of conviction to mm. the Department of Correction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We electronically interface with all of the state agencies, parole, for example. But all of the case processing step, trial, motion activity, pretrial monitoring, violations, electronic monitoring, mm -hmm. all of those steps are monitored through an electronic uh, foundation. How did you decide who or what section went first or which to, how do you prioritize those? Well, we were, um, I mean, criminal, 2000, yeah. 2016 um, was really forced upon us, or really, I guess it was 2015, criminal justice reform uh, comes yes. and says, yes, yes, yes. we've got this major reform that's gonna happen in 2017, and so we were really forced to focus our time yeah. and attention on criminal, that was one of the things. Yeah. What we've also attempted to do is to try to have, replicate the functionality so you will have the same calendaring function. You yeah. will have the same look and feel, if you will, uh, throughout a system. So tax right. was, How could you possibly have to educate yourself exactly. to do criminal yeah. and then have to re-educate yourself exactly. to entirely exactly. different if you needed to do civil or exactly. family or tax? So tax was really easy to do because it was a small filing. Right. right? And so right. you could kick the tires, if you will, test the uh, capability, the functionality of it, and then move to the larger system. Yes. So that was part of the strategy as well. We, you always want to be able to say, can I ensure that this is replicable in the other systems? Right. All right? And family creates the most difficult problem because you've got the most different case types. All right? and that oh, see, that's interesting. Right. I would have thought that it was criminal because there's, so, you know, with the speedy trial and, yep. you know, all the different yep. agencies nope. that touch it. Nope. But, that's interesting. Yep. But family was, you know, you've got really unique factors that are mm -hmm. designed in in family. Now, candidly, some parts of family are just like, for example, we have an FO uh, case type. What F is that? FO is um, quasi-criminal. Oh, okay. All right? And so you violate a restraining order. Uh -huh. it, get hand it gets handled in family, not criminal, when it's downgraded to a, a DP, for mm -hmm, example. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's why that's, that functionality is a lot like criminal. But other parts, um, non-dis, mm -hmm. you know, the other aspect of where we're going with uh, e-court reform is ultimately uh, self-represented individuals yes. have to have that same access yes. to uh, our system and we're focusing on that. We've just recently, again, in tax and in foreclosure, uh, we're now allowing self-represented to file into our, or to get notice of our system to go back and forth. Ultimate will be to file. 
Gotcha. So that's part of the dynamics as well. Yeah. So it's rolling out. Um, it, there's still rollout happening in family. Yep. There's still focus on how to make this fully, um, some into you know that some that members of who are unrepresented, yep. members of the public who are sure. unrepresented can can do what. what so we we got yeah. probation that yes. we, we have to do probation. For yep. example, we're still replacing our old system, which is called the. Uh, computerized, automated uh, probation system. Yep. Try, it's called CAPS. We're trying to update that system. We are trying to, again, um, deal with guardianship monitoring, mm, which is mm -hmm. uh, a system that's a hybrid. One of the legacies of our um, Constitution is that surrogates serve as the deputy clerk of the court. Right. So when you file an adoption, you don't file it in our court, you file it with the surrogate's office, even though the judiciary handles that. When you are dealing with a guardianship, you have a person that's mm -hmm. ill, and they need they they are a ward of the of, of the, a particular individual. That individual comes in for a guardianship order. That's filed in the in the surrogate's office. Right. So we have a partnership with them. Now, is the surrogate's office technically part of the of Treasury? Are they part of the executive branch? Executive. Got branch. it. Okay. They're part of the executive Got branch, it. right? Um, they are an elected individuals. Right. Right. So they're elected individuals, but uh, they also are subject to in their deputy clerk role to the rules and uh, canons of the oh. judiciary. So. Interesting. So they can't do everything that a true elected official. Elected official could do, yeah, right. Exactly. There are, cause, because there are explicit it, right. you know, restrictions for what judges exactly. can do exactly. in terms of, that's fascinating. Exactly. So again, that whole, when you go back and you say, what's the foundation? It's really that constitutional change that took place in 48. And I think that's probably a good way to wrap us up. Okay. We start and end with the 1948 Constitution. Good. That works Sounds for good. me. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Judge. Thank I you. really appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Judge Grant as much as I did having it. He's such an interesting guy, uh, and the work he does is so important. The State Bar really values the relationship we have with the judiciary and look forward to continuing it uh, to advance the profession for everyone. Um, and so in the meantime, if you have ideas of someone I can interview or topics I should cover, please, please send me a line at askthenjsba at njsba.com. Uh, you can also just give me a call. My direct number is 732-937-7548. And please give us a check-in on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on LinkedIn, and I hope to see you there. Thanks so much. Bye.